Good day. This is Michael Muth of Going Global International Interviews. Today we're speaking with John Campershore, the Director of Marketing at Opportunity International. You can learn more about them at opportunity.org. We're speaking with John today about microfinancing in the developing world and how they use technology to enhance their activities there. You'll find edited transcripts of this interview at intlalliances.com and at midwestbusiness.com. Should be recorded. I can turn up the sensitivity here. Um, so logistically, I'm trying to learn how Opportunity International works. How big or small are the micro enterprise or micro enterprises you work with typically? They can be as small as a simple uh, fruit or vegetable stand, thing, or a hair cutting operation that they saw from one of our promotional pieces. With a, with a chair and a pair of scissors under a tree um, mm -hmm. at a busy intersection, uh, all the way up to a, uh, a larger micro business, which I visited one in Romania who was a uh, tea uh, processor, packager, and distributor. He had 11 employees, three ships, pretty much working out of his house, but it was quite an operation. He actually even um, enlisted local gypsies to forage through the fields and forests for these birds would then pay them for the product and then have 11 women who were actually then processing packaging and then also distributing out to the local stores these tea products. Mm -hmm. When I was in uh, Accra, Ghana uh, last fall, there was a woman by the name of Sarah and her husband Roland. She was the borrower. An initial $300 loan from our partner there, excuse me, an initial $65 loan, which had then grown up to a $300 loan over about a year and a half. They had started off with a very small, about as big as this tabletop fufu producing business. Fufu is the staple for that country, which is a combination of cassava and plantain. And it's like a, a starch dumpling that everyone eats. Mm -hmm. It's F-O-O, or F-U-F-U. But Roland and Sarah, Sarah started out very modestly um, at a busy intersection, and now it's, it's, it's an enterprise over just a year and a half, which has multiple tables, they have servers, they actually have 14 employees working for them right now. They've got mm -hmm. gas ranges, they've got refrigerators, they're serving goat meat and fufu and vegetables and soups and so forth. So it, it, um, it, we, I also visited uh, an operation in Tirana, Albania, uh, that was like the Earl Scheibe coffee <laughs> service of Tirana. And here he was, and he had purchased uh, the products and the heat lamps that were necessary to be able to spray paint and then dry these uh, paint shots on these uh, the cars wow. uh, in, in Albania. So mm -hmm. uh, it can be it's very small all the way up to a a private enterprise and employee. Okay, so choose one employee. And what's the maximum number of employees that you would put? The maximum number of employees that I would that I would guess uh, could be as many as 50 or 60. Mm -hmm. On average, though, on average, because it really is a micro-loan. And as we get into this discussion, um, we should talk about that approximately 80% uh, of our loans are the group funding loans, mm -hmm. which are 
25 to 40 women who come together and co-guarantee each other and are jointly liable to repay this group loan before they can graduate up to the next loan a little greater amount. Mm-hmm. Now, the initial loan for each of those people within that group, on average, last year was $79. Mm-hmm. Now, again, but in other words, so in other words, six women would get together for a loan of four hundred and eighty dollars, approximately. Right, but again, that's too small of a group. It has to be at probably okay. a minimum of twenty to twenty-five to make to make the the, the metrics work, to make the to make it effective and efficient and sustainable as well. So again, we have about eighty percent of our loans are these group lending loans. Then there's about twenty percent which are individual collateralized loans. Those tend to be the larger business. When I mentioned the 50 or 60 employee shops or whatever they may be, mm-hmm. those are probably individual loans. Where most of these group loans, these women are, are cottage industries, sewing, um, woodworking, selling, a, a tiny little 7-Eleven out, out of, off of their front porch where they're selling uh, sundries and, and other products that are uh, purchased by the locals in the neighborhood. I mean, I've noticed that there is an influence on women. What percentage of your loans go to women as opposed to men? Eighty-seven percent go to women, mm-hmm. and the and the reason for that um, is is that uh, for the first um, fifteen or so years of our existence since 1971, it was mostly men and individual collateralized loans. Mm-hmm. But really, towards the mid to late 80s, we realized that if you really Paint a picture of the poorest of the entrepreneurial poor, it would be a woman. Mm-hmm. Second class citizens, um, possibly not educated, uh, affect the family the most. Many of single husbands have left them. So we really thought long and hard in the late 80s about how do we reach the poorest of the working poor. And so that's when the group lending methodology was actually developed and, and uh, perfected over time. Mm-hmm. To where you know what we're primarily loans, men collateralized loans, individual loans are now 80% of these group loans to women, and 87% to answer your question, 87% of our loans are to women, so 13% to men. Okay. Um, so we've already talked about the size of the loans. I mean, I guess what is the range of loans that you? They can be as little like as 25 to 30 dollars in India, all the way to a 5,000 dollar loan in Eastern Europe. And again, that $25 to $30 loan in India is probably a group loan that most likely is one of those co-guaranteed loans where the $5,000 loan in Eastern Europe is the max that can be loaned out by any one of our Eastern European partners for a collateralized business loan. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's, that's why that range. Well, okay, but I mean, again, you know, if you're loaning $25, 30 bucks to a big group of women, how can that amount to much? You, you mentioned you're a little lower that if 70% or 4.3 billion people live on less than $2 a day, we, I don't know where you have to figure that out for the website. Your website or one of your partner's website? Because yeah. what, what we normally quote, quote is that uh, half of the world's population, 3 billion people live on less than $2 a day. Mm-hmm. And so when they've got a struggling little business where the locals in the neighborhood are making a buck or two a day, a seventy-nine or a hundred, a hundred twenty-five dollar loan, and and our average loan when you take out Eastern Europe because they're different economic scale, it's about one hundred twenty-five dollars international. Is what the average 
small amount is, even with these concerns, putting this only two hundred twenty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. But when you consider that they're, so they're making two dollars a day, mm-hmm. which is sixty bucks a month, one hundred twenty-five dollar a month is two months' wages. For the first time, these people are able to buy bulk. Mm-hmm. They can buy a crate full of tomatoes, or a stack of flour, or you know a bag of beans, and, and then they'll repackage that into smaller packaging so that it's affordable from the other poor in the community. It's a basic distribution thing. It really is. And then they'll build in a little bit of a profit margin with each of those uh, individual packages. And then that comes back to the food on the table when the kids get sick, tuition for education, and, and a better roof over their head. And mm-hmm. really how that works. Right? At, at that micro, micro level. Okay. Well, and if we're talking about some of the world's poorest people, how can they be such good credit risk? Right. Well, 98% of our borrowers repay. Mm-hmm. So we only have a 2% default rate. Mm-hmm. And it's really built into the methodology. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the group lending. It's the co-guaranteeing. Mm-hmm. And here's how it kind of works. You know, in these poor communities, people know each other. Word travels fast. And so when we come into a new community to mm-hmm. say that you may be eligible for uh, a micro loan from our implementing partner organization, Mm-hmm. But we're going to ask you five women that have expressed interest to go out and find five others each mm-hmm. that are going to form this trust bank. And as we call these groups on the internet, trust bank, because there is trust. And there's a lot of trust. They're trusting each other. Mm-hmm. So that these 30 women on average then, over a short one-month loan cycle, are jointly liable to repay this loan. So let's say that you and I are in a, uh, a group of 30. Mm-hmm. And we've got a couple of delinquent borrowers, or you, you, I, and the other 28 have to pick up the slack and cover those two. Mm-hmm. So let's say that those two aren't showing up for meetings. Guess what you and I and the other 26 are going to be doing? We're going to be marching over to their house mm-hmm. after the meeting, knocking on the door, and finding out why they didn't show up, and where is their portion of the principal, the interest, and some required savings. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they see over that four months, they see some phone cycles. There are required weekly meetings. So they see their creditors every week. And trust bank meetings are a great forum for not only taking care of business, paying principal, the interest, and the required savings, but it's also great for ongoing training, sharing the successes and failures, strength in numbers to where they can go out and lobby the local politicians for sewage or electricity or, or a home in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like peer pressure yeah. as well as inherent training. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, yeah. Um, anything else in addition to peer pressure training, I mean, lobbying opportunities, that's right. like leadership too. Many of these women have uh, really been uh, uh, relegated to fetching water or firewood or cooking or just taking care uh, of the family. But so many of them have been left by their husbands or their husbands are off working somewhere and they need supplemental income. So they have to do something to be able to provide for the kids who may be eating only one meal a day. So that's that's why they get involved with you. That's why they may have a struggle in business. And the only other alternative to to capital are loan sharks. Gosh, there are some of the poor communities that are called five sixers. Five maple sun Mondays, eight six back on Friday. That's twenty percent a week. Mm-hmm. Figure that out. And so some of these women really never get out of hot. They are mm-hmm. constantly looking over their shoulders because they own someone, something. 
where here is a legitimate form of capital, training, and support mm-hmm. that these women have. Mm-hmm. That someone believes in them. You know, that's, 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 that's uh, again, that's, um, that's a dignity issue. It's not a hand up, but it's a hand up. We go into a community and ask, well, what can you do? Well, I can cook, or I can sew, or I can sell. I've got this little sewing business, or this selling business, or this tiny little restaurant. Well, we believe in you and your dreams, and so what we're going to do is we're going to put you with other people who believe in you as well to support your dreams to take care of yourself and your family. Yeah, cool. Um, well, you mentioned these five fixtures. Mm-hmm. What kind of terms do you usually work on as opposed to these five fixtures? Good, good question. You know, so so many of the developing world poor aren't even allowed into the bank. I don't know if you travel like overseas or not, but you see these armed guards. It's not one. They're primarily there um, to keep the riffraff so-called out because they're perceived as dirty or their transactions are such a mere pittance, and the good customers don't want anything to do with them as well, so they're kept out of bank. They're not even allowed in. Sure. Um, and just FYI, I did spend a fair amount of time in Poland. Good. And it was interesting there simply because the Poles basically just don't trust the bank. And so their mattresses would be full of cash. That's a good point. But, and that, that's, that's exactly right. And, and I don't want to get too technical with the name, Michael, but as you'll see, if you're reading information, we're actually getting into banks and savings and loans for the poor so that we can provide that safe place for the poor to save their money. Mm-hmm. And those accumulated deposits, as little as they are, grow incredibly so. Like many banks, what do we do? On loan those mm-hmm. to reach more poor people. Mm-hmm. And also it puts us in the interbank lending circle so that we can borrow at modest rate. We've got a great track record, 98 percent repayment rate, 33 years of history. People are loan to loan to us if we in fact are a more commercial entity, a savings and loan or a bank. Of course, even some of our partners in the Philippines, because the government is so supportive of what we do on the top of the Philippines, they've been loaning money to our NGO partners, not governmental organizations, what are and loan partners really are for years. At modern interest rates, and so that's why they're growing by leaps and bounds. Well, I mean, you mentioned what four to six month lending cycles. That's correct. That's correct. Four to four, six months. Four is that typical? That's typical for the group loans. Now, the individual loans, the other twenty percent of our product uh, can be twelve to eighteen months. So they're a little longer loan cycles. Right. And um, I mean, five fixtures are de facto twenty percent a week. Do you go and? Friday or what, what the local, local market, market local market rates, the local bank rates, whatever they're going to charge in that particular uh, market. And it all depends uh, what they are. They can be approximately 3% a month in the Dominican Republic. Now, here in the U.S., people believe that would be getting 3% a month. You know, just, just uh, figure that out times 12. That's a, that's a big interest rate. Mm-hmm. But, again, when, when there isn't access to capital, when the loan cycle is only four months and it's rounding it to a hundred dollar loan, what does that work out to be? Twelve bucks. Mm-hmm. That twelve dollars is turned over within a week or two. And when they were paying twenty percent a week compared to this, and that's what they would get from the local banks, we don't get any complaints at all from our four class conference rate. And it is a it's a rate that we have to charge to be sustainable. We want to be in business serving the poor from here on out. Mm-hmm. So the interest and the fees at those rates on our loan offset the operating expenses of our implementing partner organization. So where we are now, aggregately, as a network, all 42 partners, 
are 107% operation is sustainable. If you have a question, we not. Well, yeah. So the interest and the fees that we're charging the poor come back to off offset the loan program. So that we're a sustainable program worldwide. So we are the funding partner. We, along with UK, Canada, Australia, and Deutschland, if we went out of business today raising funds in the developed world, they would continue on. They wouldn't grow as fast because we keep adding money for extension because we're only serving about 10% of the world's needs for micro-lending services. So we're an industry, not just as an opportunity international. As an industry, there's still a 90% of the market that goes unserved. So in other words, if I understand what you're saying correctly, um, you're obviously soliciting donations. Mm-hmm. But what it sounds like is, as of right now, you are at least at break even or making money. Even if you don't get any donations coming in the door. That's correct. That is correct. And that's why they implement funding organizations in the third world that we have developed over time to continue on the line. You have to dry up today. No way. Okay. Now, you also mentioned fees. What kinds of fees are there on top of interest? It can be it's a minimal fee. It may be a one percent over the term loan or something like that for the training. And all the partners are, are different based on again the sustainable model. Mm-hmm. Okay. And actually, we have to charge fees versus interest in Muslim countries where we operate because interest is actually uh, against their uh, the religious law, and so we get around that by charging fees versus interest. Now it's based on, you know, a percent of the loan and the, le- and the term of the loan, but it's not interest. Well, something becomes semantics, but yes, yeah, yeah, okay. they don't care about that. But so, uh, anyway, so that's where the fees come from, interest and fees. Okay. And it sounds to me like for the most part you have to be a cash business in a lot of the areas where you work. Or are there check clearing systems in any of these kind of places? I assume credit cards don't work. They don't. It's primarily cash. It's primarily mm-hmm. cash. We we do um, the transactions are almost all in local it's local currency and in cash. The borrowers bring their cash to the weekly trust bank meetings, which are held at one of the borrowers' homes, and then the loan officer actually brings that money back to the bank. Mm-hmm. And in the some of the more dangerous neighborhoods where we operate, we have to work around that. Sometimes we actually have. And implementing partner accounts at the local bank where the poor do have a pass or whatever to come in to make their deposit for that principal and interest into our partner's accounts, and then they receive some sort of receipt to show that they actually did make that deposit. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want to be carrying cash on the neighborhood. And that also says that you may have a currency translation issue. In other words, if you're taking dollars into a lot of foreign currencies, right, what's your risk there? Are you concerned well, they're being exposed? There, there always is. There always is when you're working. I mean, right now in Zimbabwe, it's a about a 600% annual inflation rate. And so U.S. dollars uh, converted to Zim dollars um, just uh, as soon as it's loaned out, it's already devalued. Mm-hmm. And so that's more than it's two percent a day. That's it, it is. So you got a good calculator in your head there, Mike. Uh, Michael or Mike, by the way. I don't know. Okay. 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 Michael brother Mike too, and I have a good friend who's Michael. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll be not done. But uh, but but it's true. And so and and I guess it's inherent when you're working in the developing world. And our donors know that as well. Mm-hmm. So we 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 uh, we just. Is that me? 
Okay, so in other words, though, do you hedge money when when it comes in and as you lend it out, or do you pretty much just uh, you know go with the whim of exchange rate changes and so on? Is there any way that you can hedge your risk by taking money in in one currency and giving it out? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would guess that there's probably some of that going on, but I'm not aware of that. So I'd start to make a comment on that. But that's actually good. So has, I'll ask the question hedging. Yeah. And you deal with significant dollar volume, mm-hmm. and you've got to deal with a lot of different currencies. Mm-hmm. And from a financial perspective, well, how does that us in the loan portfolio worldwide? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll loan out this year about 200 million, and so it turns, it's recycled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On average, taking consideration are the terms of the loans and mm-hmm. okay. And the um, okay, so you loan the money out in cash. I think it comes back in cash. Mm-hmm. You mentioned they can take to the bank, get a receipt, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, and you also mentioned, I think your clients in Romania started at sixty-five dollars, ended up being more like three hundred. That's correct. Specifically, do you work with people on a longer-term basis, issue continuing loans, different kinds of loans, maybe? That's right. That's right. Um, this, this, the group loan that Sarah in Ghana actually is okay. started a $65 loan, probably about a $350 loan, and maybe even more because that's been almost a year, a little over a year ago. But typically, our borrowers will go through three or four loan cycles. So it can be anywhere from a year and a half to two years on average. Some stay longer, and we'll go through eight cycles over uh, three years or even up to four years. But then they reach a limit. Then they can graduate to a solidarity loan, which is a smaller group and there is co-signing involved there. And when we get the little larger loan, they don't have to meet quite as frequently because they've gone through the trust bank funding process. And so they kind of um, uh, they give it the right to move to solidarity once then, once they've got a nice business and they've got some assets, then a collateralized individual loan. So they can graduate up through the range. Hopefully, by the end of the day, we hope that we grow them out of our program so that they're actually eligible for a local commercial bank loan. But as we can go to state into loans, we hope to have those loans for them as well. I guess a couple other things then. I guess in the trust bank, granted you have a 98% repayment rate, but is there some attrition there as well? In other words, if you talk about a group of 30 women, are the same 30 women going to be there for every cycle? No, that's a good point. That's a good point. We will lose two or three out of the group of 25 after the first cycle. That's all they needed, or maybe they were a high risk, and so they weren't voted back into the next cycle by the group, because that group is actually appointed a chairman, a vice chairman, a secretary, and a treasurer, and they make their own constitution with help from, oftentimes, the first time it's folks have ever held any sort of an office or have ever voted in anything. So again, that's the developing of leaders is very important to us as well. But what they may do then is uh, if they graduate up to the next cycle, then they may bring in some others who have expressed interest in being a part of that group for, for the next cycle. 
but, but over time, sometimes the groups will get smaller over time. But, and then after a while, after four or five cycles, three or four cycles, that group may just dissolve, and, and then maybe some of the remnants may start another group or they graduate up to a solidarity group. Okay. And I guess another thing, one way of evaluating these is by repayment rates, obviously. But is there any other due diligence or ways to evaluate these things? Do they get to the point where they're putting together balance sheets, income statements, uh, you know, other ways to evaluate the success of a business? Sure, sure. And we're right now doing the client impact monitoring system. We've been doing this for about two years now. We're actually pioneering this. This is something that um, other microfinance organizations are not doing. But it, it's really it has a list of uh, ten or so indicators of how how this has impacted their lives as far as their business, their family, their social um, relationships. And, and so those, those indicators that great management tool for us to be able to maybe modify our product if, if necessary, and also a great reporting tool for our, for our donors that's in the U.S. or in the U.K. or Canada or Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that they see that we are, in fact, tracking the impact of our loans. And is it making a difference or not? We are we are not in this business just to make the poor a little less poor. We really are wanting to uh, develop these uh, national transformational lending organizations mm-hmm. so that the poor are transformed holistically, meaning uh, both economically, socially, politically, and spiritually. So really a holistic transformation versus uh, just the economic environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, microfinance is the vehicle. It's the entree into the economy and society. But it's so much more important than just making the flow over what's going on over here. I guess a couple other things. I mean, you talk about the trust bank mm-hmm. and the group borrowing. Yeah, essentially. Can you even parallels here in the states, the developed world, I mean, for example, if we're talking to technology entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, it's different from going to a venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's, there's anything corollaries are here. Well, yeah, it's just what can local people learn from this model? Mm-hmm. You know, is there a way to pool to go to a VC? Um, you know, a co-op maybe pooling to go to a bank, possibly. Mm-hmm. Like that or yeah, do, I don't know. Do we do we uh, securitize these these loans uh, regionally, bundle them, and then uh, and, and then and try to raise capital? Yeah, I don't like I said. I mean, uh, it's obviously a concept that works, and I'm just wondering if it's transferable in some way. Can it apply? Can it apply? Okay. I, I don't know. There may be. Well, there may be. I think there may be. I mean, there there are more and more uh, socially responsible funds that are out there. Uh, uh, people who are investing, not looking for much of a return. Uh, a lot of angel investors probably think they could that. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Um, okay. I don't know if we've talked about the range and the average loan. I think you might have mentioned it, but I think you have it down here or somewhere in here. The average loan is really uh, $225. The range could be anywhere from 25 to 5000 The initial first group loan, though, is $79. Oh, that'd be key market. 
keep our blue light special or something. Um, all right, you talked about the 98% loan repayment mm -hmm. ratio. In other words, the whole methodology. That's right. Um, now, if I hear you correctly, you're starting to build your own banking system. Mm -hmm. It sounds like in each of these countries. Um, but until you get to that point, do you work with local banks, local Chicago banks, and then other correspondent banks, you know, in the more developed financing world to disperse funds, or how does that work? We're, we're doing better at that, and uh, we, we actually have a relationship with Wells Fargo Northwest, mm -hmm. okay. Citibank, mm -hmm. and J.P. JP Morgan, and those funds have come from their foundation mm -hmm. as grants or donations for our work. Which is okay, but the, so it's not using those banks that in your course of business, that is correct. money that's coming in is grants. That is correct. That is correct. Um, because we really are still the not-for-profit at the grassroots level in the developing world, primarily. Although we are beginning to, where we can easily convert to more formal financial institutions. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it sounds like we're coming up with our own institutions, our own banks for the poor. First, mm -hmm. working through the Barclays or Standard Banks. Mm -hmm. or the city group bank. But even, you know, transferring the money that you get in from the state to Ghana, Zimbabwe. And you're not loading people up with cash in their suitcases. No, no. We'll work with the local banks where we can where we have an account list, but it all depends on, on the local the local bank that we can have the best relationship with. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean in that respect so in other words local banks, even in these very poorly developed countries have banking systems that can handle it and work with you. Absolutely. Okay. Because yeah. um, it's interesting, sometimes I hear from entrepreneurs who see or hear about opportunities in less developed countries and just wonder if they've got the facilities to really be able to, to work with them. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it seems to me that we have a safe place for us mm -hmm. in these developed in, in these developing countries to, to hang on to our money until we need it to spread mm -hmm. it out to the poor entrepreneurs. Okay. Yeah. As long as it works, I haven't heard otherwise. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh boy. I mean, I asked about the 70%, which actually may be 50%, for mm -hmm. 3 billion versus mm -hmm. uh, 3 billion. Um, Giving some numbers, you have impacted on 10% of the world's poor? As an industry, as an industry, all of the microfinance institutions, Opportunity International, and there are many others, uh, although very few of those many others are actually sustainable and have a real scale, mm -hmm. but all of those together are serving about 10% of the world's need mm -hmm. of, uh, of microloans, savings, and even micro-insurance stocks now. You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're trying to come full circle. Things that we take so for, uh, for granted here in this country. Mm -hmm. Access to credit, a safe place to save your mind and bear a little bit of interest. Mm -hmm. And insurance, like less mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Is there a market for that? Can people afford it? Does it make sense? Absolutely. Right now, Opportunity mm -hmm. International has 1.4 million insured. Mm -hmm. As little as Sixty U.S. dollars annually as a premium and a death benefit premium would have had about a couple hundred dollars mm -hmm. when either the insured or up to five dependents perish. Because mm -hmm. a funeral can wipe out 
Yeah, I gotta believe there's a whole different economic scale for all that here. Um, and there are reinsurance companies and other folks who underwrite this kind of stuff, or okay. It was a nice breakdown of all of our insurance products. Okay. Um, maybe I can get that to you. Let's see if I can. I think you might find the next one. Okay. Um, now, I found on your website that one $10 loan impacts 7.5 people. How do you figure that out? There's a model that we did recently that over a 10 year period, mm -hmm. um, that based on the. Yeah, impact 7.5 people based on the number of dependents, based on the borrowers, the number of dependents, the recycling of that money over that period of time, it actually boils down to that a $10 loan impact 7.5 people. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the borrower is the first person to impact. Two, three children, the second, actually plus the six in the developing world. Six children, that's right. Okay, and then recycling that money. I mean, recycling that money adds another two, three, four, five, six, and also then taking into consideration that it's 0.5 employees per borrower as well. That's what it works out to be. So when you take all those into consideration and do the math, it actually works out to be. And that's really the beauty of what we do. I, I really think that the essence is the recycling of the money that it's, it's not like a typical charity where it's mm -hmm. given out, consumed, mm -hmm. it's loaned out, assets created, mm -hmm. repaid, loaned out again, assets created, repaid, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do the bank? And, you know, at least a break-even bank, maybe even making a little money bank, right. but you're a bank that, that serves people who normally haven't had access to banking services. Don't have a bank. Reason you aren't bank financial services. Mm -hmm. That's right. You're getting into insurance. And that's right. That's right. And I guess getting to, excuse me for jumping around. Sure not. But you said that these organizations are only meeting 10% of the world or market needs. That's right. Does that mean that there's opportunity for people to go after that other 90%? If not our organization, others as well to grow to be able to to serve those people. It's about 500 million that they estimate. World there are million people or dollars? 500 million people. Mm -hmm. 500 million people who could use the services that an Opportunity International provides. And we as an industry are providing maybe to about 50 million of those, of which 500,000 are Opportunity International clients. Mm -hmm. um, and what's preventing you and these other organizations from reaching that other 450 million? Um, Capital resourcing, mm -hmm. human resources are probably even more important. I think the capital resourcing is there. It's just a matter of accessing. I think awareness as well. Mm -hmm. People just aren't even aware of that. Five years ago, I didn't know anything about my driver's license. I knew nothing of it. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I researched Opportunity International a while ago. I guess I didn't know all the details of it, but you know, I was generally aware of it. I'm an internationally-minded guy. Right. 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 Right.
in a, in a lot of different ways. I think that, I think that you know, and I, I think that most people don't realize that there is a a sustainable, replicable, scalable business solution to poverty. Okay. So you and and it is directly applicable to people here. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah. So and I think again that awareness. I think we need to be better about promoting one of the best kept secrets that's out there. And so we're mm-hmm. we're trying to be better at that. Mm-hmm. So okay. capital, human resources and awareness. Probably those three, I would say. Okay. Um I guess getting back to the logistics. Ninety no, eighty two percent of every dollar that comes in goes out to um, borrowers. What about the other eighteen cents? The other eighteen cents is actually for the support partner which is opportunity international in the US mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. And their general administration and fundraising costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and could you break it down between general administration and fundraising costs? Or is that yeah, no, no I, think, I think it's about eighty percent GNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, about 10% of fundraising, mm-hmm. probably what it is. Okay. And we, just for your information, we all have high expectations. I mean, we have what costs us, salary, benefits, and all of our support, research, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And we have actually ratios that we need to achieve. Mm-hmm. Well, people want to know that. That's right. When they're doing money. And so, actually, after six years, we're expected to. Uh, be raising 10 times more cost, so there's that 10 percent more. And I guess I didn't see any particular demographics for Opportunity International as an organization. I mean, you mentioned what, you guys started in 71? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how many employees? Our employees are about 35, I guess. And that's here in Chicago yeah, or worldwide? Actually, that's, that's here in Chicago and across the country. Our office is here in Chicago. We have a very small uh, advocacy office in Washington, D.C., but then there's also development officers or, or fundraisers, Michigan fundraisers, mm-hmm. who live across the country in the financial market. And how many are based here in Chicago? Uh, well, no, that's uh, we, because it was probably 15, so about 20 here in Chicago, and then the other 15 are around the country. Okay. Got it. Um, I'm getting back to the other stuff. How do you calculate the number of jobs created? This was Steve's response, wonderful. Um, the average is 1.5 jobs created or strengthened for every active client. So does that give you a mm-hmm. pretty straightforward answer? Just over time, we have seen that that, on average, based on our research, it shows that the average is 1.5 jobs created or strengthened mm-hmm. for every active client. Okay, so that's per client and not per loan, sounds like? Per client. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because a, loan, a client may have multiple loans over time. Mm-hmm. One at a time, as you said earlier on. Yeah. How many loans do you need per client? Yeah. Although I can't see what you're now. Mm-hmm. But I think we talked about that that can be anywhere from three to four cycles, so three to four loans. So in other words, would it be that 1.5 per cycle? For each, or again, back to each client, for every active client, so that's a client, for not every cycle, so for each client. Well, it's still, it's a healthy number, I think. It is a healthy number. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, women are obviously important to what you do. What is your relationship with the Women's Opportunity Fund? The Women's Opportunity Fund is a fund within Opportunity International that focuses on women. I think we talked about women a little bit, just, just uh, it's impacting family models and, and meeting the self in the developing world. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, uh, it's just really focused on the deep learning methodology, which tends to be very high in women mm -hmm. in certain areas. It's 100% uh, women. Mm -hmm. um, also, leadership issues, women issues, how it relates to the family. So, uh, specific or special initiatives that are related to women and women in leadership are actually funded by the Women's Opportunity Fund, which is funded in Opportunity Fund. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Do you even have a Men's Opportunity Fund? Sounds like we don't. Not yet. That's okay. Um, looks like HIV AIDS mm -hmm. is of concern to your organization as well. What does HIV-AIDS have to do with micro-lending and um, micro-enterprise development? As you'll read in Dale Hansen's book, they go hand-in-hand, poverty and AIDS. Mm -hmm. um, women are so vulnerable and so at the mercy of men in the developing world, and especially in Africa. They'll do whatever they have to do, including a very risky and potentially deadly lifestyle. To move to the table for the children who may be starting, I think we probably would too. Mm -hmm. okay. And so, what we want to do is we want to lift those. I mean, I'd be interested in your response. Would you allow your kids to, to, to suffer and to potentially starve to death if there was a man there who was promising you some favors, some food or shelter or whatever, if he was sleeping there? Sure. I, I think, that's right. I think so. I really believe that if I were a woman and I were in that circumstance, I might sit under that as well. So what we want to do is we want to be able to empower that woman and her little business so that she doesn't have to go to these sugar daddies for these favors so that she can live uh, a less lecherous lifestyle. Now in Africa, uh, the woman or man who dies, the both parents who die, their kids are usually taken on by a sibling, brother, or sister of the deceased. They're already saddled with five or six children. And then here's another three or four, five or six. So they're overburdened. We want to empower that relative so that they can provide for their own kids and their orphan kids the mm -hmm. all that they're providing for. I was in uh, Uganda just this past September, mm -hmm. and two trust banks, one was 15 women. Mm -hmm. Caring for among them 43 orphans. So it's nearly three people on average. Another trust bank is 25 women caring for 52 orphans. One particular woman is caring for eight kids. Only two of them were her own. Both her brother and sister died of AIDS and each had three kids. So she was supporting eight kids, which only two were her own. And she had a little loan with opportunity in the next So, again, the economics is part of the solution parallel. They, 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 they are hand-in-hand with, with AIDS. It, 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 statistically, they have, they have realized that those things are kind of the twin evils. Poverty and AIDS, they really go hand-in-hand, and that's just well, investigating the continent. But by helping solve the poverty problem, help alleviate the AIDS. It's a, here's a couple of other ways as well. 
those two, those two first ways. Again, living out of a risky lifestyle and empowering the the uh, overburdened and family. Third is an apprenticeship program as well, where some of our more successful borrowers with business, many of these orphans never learned to trade because their parents died too early on. So instead of them spending for themselves in whatever way they can, they oftentimes lead to need to prostitution or other ways of earning income to be able to do that for themselves, they're being trained by these masters. And so they're learning to trade. And then they'll also be eligible for a loan from our partner organization. So not only trade, but a loan through our group apprenticeship program. And finally, fourth, are the trust bank meetings. These weekly meetings are a great forum for these poor women to get through the very small case about these because there are so many misconceptions and myths throughout Africa about how you contract this, how you get rid of it. So we're able to share what it really is. And, and, and it's a deadly subject. Age, sex, and death. You usually aren't talking about. You get 30 women together, they'll talk Not about it. in America? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Wow. I thought America was the only one. So, in other words, HIV AIDS is a topic in their their regular meetings as well, it sounds like. It, it, is, in, it is their way of life. Like, uh, when, you have, when you're going to feel like almost every day, that we've seen if you're up and down the street. Mm-hmm. Our clients, on average, in Uganda, caring for 2.3 orphans, on average. It, it's just, it's, in, it's how it is. They all do it. It's a big part of it. So it has to be. And our clients, many of our clients, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so if we want to be able to welcome them in as, as brothers and sisters and not ostracize them. We actually saw a skit by some of our clients at this one trust bank for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and how she was shunned by not only her family but by society and how she was actually welcomed in by her trust bank. And it was really neat to see these women animated. You know, it was really kind of meek and mild and yet how they just came out of their shelves and shared the story with us. I mean, I, I, I hate to sound coarse or anything, but economically, if AIDS is such a plague that doesn't impact upon, you know, repayment rates and the trust groups and so on and so on? It does, and that's actually where insurance comes into being too because a part of our insurance product actually will will help to cover any uh, remaining balance within that loan and help to cover the insurance or mm-hmm. no cost. Well, so it is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Selfishly, economically, for our institution, we had to do something about it, so that's why insurance was important for us as well. Not well, only like the cost can kill you there, though. Right. Pardon the... Yeah, you know, that's right. Um, yeah. Um, um, Wow. Okay. Um, but read the book. I think uh, I think you find it uh, fascinating. No. Yeah, take a look at it as much as I can. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. may not be able to do it. Well, in fact, I'm kind of a tight deadline today, so we'll see how that works. Um, are you under time pressures today? If I, I I really need to be out of here no later than one o'clock. Well, so, okay. And that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. Okay. Um, most of your money come from grants or donations. Or does that make any difference? No, it does. Uh, actually, worldwide, 50% of our income comes from government sources, like mm-hmm. USAID, mm-hmm. Uh, Agency for International Development, sure. and the, uh, with the, with the counterpart for the UK, Canada, and Australia. Mm-hmm. And then the other 50% are actually from private sources, primarily individuals on network. Mm-hmm. There are some corporate and uh, some foundations that Mm-hmm. What kind of well, that kind of begs the question. Why aren't corporations more involved? Because it looks like from some of the foreign websites that for your partners, there is more corporate mm-hmm. involvement. 
we're getting better at that, but we actually, OIUS, raises 60% alone. Mm-hmm. And we've had such success for all these years going to private individuals. That's been successful mm-hmm. for us. So, but mm-hmm. we do need to diversify and broaden that horizon and go after corporate. Sometimes, though, just being a Christian organization, um, our motivation is Christ called to serve the poor. Right away, that's a red flag to a lot of corporations. And just a handful that you go through with committees, and then at the end of the day, sorry, you've been rejected. A lot of times, it's going to an individual. Well, they may not be a Christian. It's just a, it's, it's a, it's a less, it's a more direct uh, response and, and sure. response time than it is to go through corporate committees. So, mm-hmm. but as you can see from you know the city banks and the J.P. Morgans and and other uh, other uh, corporate entities that we're working with, Coca-Cola. About up the, on the private side, maybe 10 or 15 percent, but we're really looking ways to grow that. Mm-hmm. The non cash side. We actually just hired a, uh, a deferred giving plan giving expert in our, in, in our organization because we really felt like we needed that to be whole. Mm-hmm. So that would, that would be in the chalk area. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to grow that area? It's huge. <laughs> Think of you. I mean, how much, how much, how much of you is really liquid versus mm-hmm. what is, uh, you know, an asset, whether it's your house or mm-hmm. other property or stocks or bonds, and so that it's 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 really it's, I think it's a, a 90-10 ratio. Ninety percent of our wealth is really non-cash, so that's why we mm-hmm. want to look at more planned deferred giving that might come back and benefit us. We've seen other organizations that do it well. Mm-hmm. And he actually comes from background from uh, academia that has done that at three different institutions. And oh, so he's helping us to shape that, that uh, business plan. And is it also a more consistent cash flow kind of thing? Or is it less consistent? Are there any relationships? I, I, think, I think once you have it in place and over time, it would then become a more consistent cash flow as we mm-hmm. can pass on and, and gifts are left. Mm-hmm. Okay. But but you have to wrap up to that that point in time before it becomes consistent. I would think. Uh, okay. 
Um, so let's move on to some of the technology mm -hmm. aspects. How does technology help you raise money? In other words, has, has much come in mm -hmm. through your website? Yes. Um, a small percentage has come through the website. Well, maybe a what percentage? I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. This is best response and this is all under her. But we're hoping to grow that significantly. We just uh, launched our new site on November 9th. My timing is good. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And you mentioned something about the Avenger Challenge. Uh, the Avengers are just a couple who have been long-time believers in Opportunity International and what we do, and they gave us uh, a pool of money that mm -hmm. would actually be used to encourage people to register mm -hmm. on our website so that they could be engaged with Opportunity International. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you say register, uh, to receive your email newsletter no, or let's make a donation? No, not, not make a donation specifically. Actually, a donation would then be made in their name to our work of $10. Mm -hmm. So the Avengers have a $50,000 challenge grant that we want to utilize that for new signups, folks who want to learn more about Opportunity International and receive further information about what we do. So in other words, you register, you don't obligate yourself for money. Correct. Absolutely. Right. So it doesn't hurt people at all to get your email newsletter registered. That's correct. That's correct. And, and the donation that I was using in your name, courtesy of the editors, with this particular grant. Okay. We'll encourage people to do that. Good. Good. Um, hang on. I wanted to mention one more thing about the Avengers. Well, we'll get to it. But you mentioned this question here, and Beth responded that a number of West Coast private donors, um, Hyperion technology, are you familiar with Hyperion? They're big. They're, they're big. They are doing pro bono work with our network business performance measurement. Hmm. Okay. So when it comes to our network of partners, the 42 partners, they're working with our folks on that side of our business and, and on the tech side. Mm -hmm. It's about a quarter of a million dollar uh, gift in kind from Hyperion. Wow. So we're very pleased with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, does technology help you loan money as well? In any way, shape, or form? Yeah. Beth didn't respond to that, and, and I don't think. Almost did Steve. Hang on one second. Are there any technology business opportunities in countries where you operate, Steve? Yes, India, software, Philippines, chips. And I didn't have a chance to ask him what he meant by that. So. It's pretty obvious. Okay, yeah. If you want to just make yes, um, in India and the Philippines, so in Asia, uh, as far as software and chips, um, they are helping our partners who are there. Okay. Um, but in other words, I mean, for example, just in reading about microfinance, those kinds of things, mm -hmm. companies, banks, and so on are using cell phones to do micropayments. That's right. I mean, are there we any instances in like those PDAs? Um, or or some form of a Palm Pilot, mm -hmm. so that there doesn't have to be so much of this. I've seen them. I mean, the ledgers and so forth are all just done on you know paper, and that's just how it has been done. So we're we're hoping to to step it up with some of our programs around the world around the world where we can to be a little bit more sophisticated, to be able to and it'll save time, it'll make our law officers that much more efficient, effective, to be able to register in and then just you know. Uh, Dock it in and mm -hmm. to be 
the information will filter to the mainframe or whatever it is. And you have a time frame that you're going to get? We're working on it right now, and I don't know. That's, those are actually good questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it doesn't sound like you're using cell phones to do micropayments yet. Um, now, I also read an article, I believe it was in Foreign Policy Magazine, where they interviewed the people from the UN who are also working in a lot of the same areas where you work, mm-hmm. and they they spoke with the networking guy, and he described you know, a lot of what they're doing with wireless networks, mm-hmm. in Cisco, those kinds of things. I mean, how sophisticated is your technology infrastructure? Well, we, we have to be because we're a financial institution, and so there's a, uh, a company called uh, Tenemos, mm-hmm. which is a uh, South African company. I think it's T-E-M-E-M-O-S, and their product is called Emerge, mm-hmm. which is a sophisticated banking software which has been modified specifically for micro-lending, optional international and our needs. Mm-hmm. We've had a relationship with them now for about three, three and a half years, mm-hmm. and we're slowly but surely incorporating emers into our partner organizations so that we can have the entire network all on one system. So then at a glance, at headquarters, we can see exactly where we expand at any given moment. So as far as technology is concerned, that's very important to us. And that's about a $200,000 investment per partner for the software and the support, the software installation and support of the department. Mm-hmm. And at what levels can you implement that? In other words, I'd be surprised if this goes all the way down to each of your trust bank groups. Right. Is it the level directly up from them? Well, or each trust bank is loaned the money as a group. So it may be a $2,000 loan to this particular trust bank. So when you break it down, it actually works out to be you know, an $80 loan per person. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that is, is able to be recorded in eMERGE mm-hmm. uh, back at the branch office and then ultimately at the headquarter office. So in Ghana, you have questions about that, right? It's so successful. We're going to branches around the company, country. We have eMERGE in place. We've done it for 10 years. Uh, and just, it's just worked very well. We've had investors here in the U.S. too who have seen us and a good program to back. They want to back for many parts. So, has so, technology led to some of your success? I think so. It has. But no way to really quantify it, it sounds like. It's, well, it's, it's um, or even, you know, a, a subjective description of how technology has led to your success. I, 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 I think that's, that's, I mean, that's just looking at the audience, what they're reading here. So that's a great yeah, I mean, connect. Um, oh my God, what you thought of beforehand. Well, no, that, that's okay. I mean, you did, you, you talked a little bit about it here, but I, can, I should have probably been a little more responsive to that as well. well. And I did see you've got opportunity.net, which appears to be an intranet. It is. Mm-hmm. For whom? And how do you get it? It's an internal resource tool. And there's all kinds of stuff on there that we use internally from from phone lists to directories to proposals and reports. A lot of the uh, a lot of our resources, internal resources, are housed on there as a go to place for our staff to be able to go and find things that are going to be useful for our work. Or whatever capacity we're serving. 
So in other words, it's not for donors, necessarily. It's not for partners. It, it is. There's actually, there's a, there is a, there is an intranet for, for our partners to be, or an area of our intranet for our partners to be involved in as well, where they can go to this. And that's a part of what they pay for, by the way, I think you asked that question. It's a $10,000 fee for each of our partners to be involved in the network. And that is one of the many services that are provided by opportunity for our partners. Is that a one-time fee or annual fee? Annual fee. Other technical assistance and technical services. Hmm. Interesting. Um, what kind of response have you gotten from your email newsletter? Uh, well, no more than six months. We're sending out our first email newsletter at the end of this month. Okay. I'll be sure. And if people can register, I'm not sure. People can register on the website for that. Okay. So, in other words, to be determined. A lot of it, a lot of this technology is, is uh, the new horizon for us. We we know that we need to be better at it. Mm -hmm. Well, but I gotta believe you're resource constrained. So it would be a real surprise if you guys are super progressive there. Um, Say again, because we're resource constrained. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, a lot of technology entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm you know, feel that they can't go out and get the latest, greatest, those kinds of things, even if they're technology companies. Mm -hmm. And you guys, I mean, your focus isn't on technology. Right. So for you to invest there, no, you know, you're not going to be a leading edge kind of organization. I agree. I agree. But we still need to be there, though, because it's being used so much. It helps us to access so many areas as far as funding. Well, it's leverage. Yeah. It enables you to use your time better. That's right. Uh, you know, it eliminates a lot of the you know, misspelling, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, kind of a general question. What can local technology entrepreneurs learn from Opportunity International? Good question. What can they learn from Opportunity International? And maybe we can come back to this later because after you've gone through mm -hmm. some of the technology things, maybe some of your international right. relationships, right. you know, kind of a general yeah. standing kind of question. Yeah, I, I, I think just right now, I think that um, these, are, these are entrepreneurs who are in the developing world. I think there's bad in common, struggling entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I would say that probably many of these technology entrepreneurs in the U.S. are also struggling. Mm -hmm. That there has been, that they probably had a lot of doors shut on them, just like our work mm -hmm. entrepreneurs who can't get in the bank. Mm -hmm. Very few believe in them, mm -hmm. and yet I would guess that many of these have had one or two people who have given us sense of hope. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what our entrepreneurs have released is some hope in a, in a dignified way that somebody believes in me and my dreams. Want to be here to provide a role and support and train so that I can realize my dreams for my little business. Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's that. In other words, despite being halfway across the world, maybe not having electricity, water, and so on, there are a lot of similarities. There are. There's there, there people who have dreams, who want to provide for their families, 
who want to contribute to society. Uh, so I think there are, there are a lot of, lot of things that would be in common mm-hmm. that entrepreneurs here might be able to learn from our work lives. Mm-hmm.